Candace and Ariel are not final girls. Candace is second to last at best. And Ariel is probably the killer. This podcast is intended for ghouls, haters, and Wikipedia summary readers. Listen on at your own risk. Welcome to our twisted mind. If it's not a good look, why do I wear it so well? Pardon me, I missed a your pretty face for someone else, but you just have to do because you see it's getting late. up everybody it's not your final girl and from pittsburgh <laughs> not really we're not really in pittsburgh i wish we were that'd it's, be cool uh candace and ariel we're gonna talk about uh some vampires today yeah but i mean first of all i guess happy new year this is the first episode we're recording in yeah the year 2022 actually but oh hilariously, God. it's going to come out on Valentine's Day. Yes. So this is also, a- happy Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. This one goes out to all the lovers out there. <laughs> We're talking about the least sexy vampires yeah. ever. Maybe, I guess you could say, like, there's definitely a few different flavors of uh, unsexy vampires. I was going to say, like, um, whatever, 200 Days of Night or whatever. Those 300 are kind of, Days three, of Night. 300 Days There's of Night. There's 100 more days in there. Yeah, damn. <laughs> it's a long time <laughs> a long to be night. besieged by It's actually vampires. 30 Days of Night, fun fact. Oh, <laughs> shit. 300 Days of Night. It's also Sparta. <laughs> wow, Those what are, a mashup. But monster vampires are actually kind of sexy. Like, just straight up feral monster vampires. It's still a little sexy. Yeah, I don't feel like that movie is like... That's not an unhot film necessarily yeah these ones are like anti-hot yeah these films are drab and sad and feature fangless vampires yeah which i've actually probably long wanted to do something about vampires that don't have fangs because it's something that kind of bugs me a lot of the time like in the hunger they have their little like onk pendant that they're like (laughs) stabbing people with it like upsets me but they also have the cool tongue in the hunger. Right? That's they true. They had like the proboscis or mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah, yeah, that's true. They do have some like adaptations. I like their war. Yeah, um, and that's a another movie that I think would fit into this one a little bit, but we'll probably do it for a different double feature someday. Is Byzantium, and they have like weird fingernails that they use to oh. stab people and drink their blood. Do they just, like, file them in a certain way? I haven't seen that one yet. I can't remember if she has, like, one weird long fingernail. Or... She's like, I've been growing this out special for you. <laughs> yes. Or if all her fingernails are weird and long. I mean, at that point, it's like, just get a razor. We don't need to be growing out a fingernail. Yeah, I that mean... That makes your life difficult. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Martin's got the strategy, I guess. He's, Martin knows what's up. <laughs> so, yeah, today we have Martin. A 1978 film, and um, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, which is from last year. Yeah, in this we have two, honestly, like, they could just go head-to-head as, like, weird little guy vampires. <laughs> they really could. 
put him in a pit and see who. Yeah, uh, I honestly, wins. I think obviously, I think Martin would have a pretty serious advantage. I feel like they but, might become friends. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Martin doesn't really want to hurt anybody. Yeah, and Martin also has a preference for a certain type of kill that. Yeah, our, that's our true. I don't think from... I don't think Thomas would really no. uh, be in his demographic. <laughs> no, he really wouldn't. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like like often like vampire movies are very queer films and not like either of these aren't necessarily like they don't feel extremely straight although i guess maybe martin kind of does but they're you know it's kind of interesting they don't fit in the bill in that way either for like traditional vampire fare yeah i think maybe thomas has more of an argument yeah thomas feels feels queer to me actually mm-hmm. but martin seems pretty straight He's just a freaky little guy. <laughs> he is a freaky little guy, though. <laughs> you can't help it. He has interesting tendencies. That. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Martin, another kind of terror. Another kind of terror. I would like to be like everyone else. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. Martyr. Another kind of terror. So first up, Martin. Yeah. This movie was I guess it wasn't banned, but it was like confiscated at one point in the video nasties panic. So this is Hell yeah. a video nasty, um, at least adjacent production. And it is pretty nasty. Written and directed by George A. Romero. And apparently his favorite of his movies. Love that. Yeah, he said, which is kind of fun. Also, Tom Savini, our boy Tom Savini's. Uh, Tom Savini stars in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he literally has. <laughs> but he did the effects and all that good shit. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we've got some like good ass Tom Savini effects and um, pretty classic Romero direction. Um, like, it's very atmospheric. Summary Martin, a disturbed young man who may or may not be an 80 something vampire comes to live with his cousin in Pennsylvania who warns him that if he preys on anyone in town, he will be destroyed. <laughs> so this is a kind of funny after watching the amusement park. Yes. Which, like got dug up last year because we just have Lincoln Maisel in a white suit. It's the same like, fucking suit. Just, yeah. There's it, no it way it's not the same. the same suit. It's literally the same suit. Like I imagine, I think amusement park was before, um, was before Martin. Okay. And um that's I, so funny. I can't remember. I looked it up when I was watching and 
I was like, he, George Romero told him, he's like, hey, bring your white suit. There's no way he didn't <laughs> bring your white suit. He looks good in it. He does look good in it. It's it's a look. It's a whole look. Very <laughs> carnival, right? Yes. And honestly, when I first when you first meet him in the movie, I was like, is this going to be like his familiar? But he's like also immediately so brusque and intense with him that I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, this is a bold familiar if that's what he is. Yeah, this is the opening for this is so good. I was confused and intrigued. Um, which is how you want to feel, I think, at the beginning of a yes. offbeat vampire movie. Because he's on a train, and he attacks a woman, and it's, like, kind of a drawn-out scene. It's very disturbing. And, um, yeah, drinks her blood and whatever. And then he gets off and immediately meets this guy with a heavy Lithuanian accent in a white suit who, like, orders him around. And then when they come to his house, he's like, if you... If you take anyone in in the city, I will destroy you without salvation. <laughs> yes. And it feels kind of fun, like, in terms of there being some old world energy mm-hmm. in a really, like, I mean, modern in 1978 setting. Yeah. It feels, like, out of place and creepy. Yeah, and he's got, like, the garlic hanging up and, like, all this shit in the house to kind of try and protect himself from Martin. Though... It doesn't work on him Yes. At all. This is like so, it's it's interesting because Martin, well, he does believe that he is a, a vampire, vampire and that he has been alive since like sometime in the late 1800s. He doesn't believe in any kind of vampire lore. He does wear sunglasses when there's sun, but I think he just <laughs> doesn't like the sun. Well, and he tells, that's like, feels like one of the central like, thesis is or whatever is like he insists he says there's no magic there's mm-hmm. no magic in the world so he's just this very sad miserable vampire who yeah just, there is no wonder like there's, it takes all the magic out of it yeah absolutely and he's like he's so adamant about it that he's kind of angry yeah like yeah. He, um his like older cousin who is taking him in in pennsylvania has yeah garlic hanging from his door and he's like got all these crucifixes that he's like trying to like banish him with to keep him out of his room and Martin like grabs the garlic off the door and like takes a big bite out of it. (laughs) Um, Like he's very, um, he doesn't need anybody else to believe in that shit either. Really what he just is, is like a serial killer. This is actually, it's interesting too, because it can't have been inspired because this was happening like almost at the same time. But the imagery of him like stalking kind of in the suburbs and like mm-hmm. watching people's houses and like walking in and stuff. I mean, definitely several serial killers from like that time period kind of come to mind. Yeah. But I thought a lot about Richard Chase watching this, whose nickname is the Vampire of Sacramento. Oh He's shit! An extremely mentally ill person who, yeah, broke into someone's house. Uh, he, I guess he killed a couple different people, but like one, he killed like several people in the house and like drank their blood. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. and Very similar. Yeah, very similar. I mean, it was definitely something with him where lots of people knew that he had these really heavy delusions and that he was more and more violent. People were scared of him, but they just, like, nothing happened until they caught him actually murdering people. Damn. So it feels very similar. It can't have had anything to do with each other, I don't think, because they were, like, production for this movie and that those murders were happening at like around the same time 
which I think is really interesting. Like it's kind of just like, we got a conspiracy theory brewing in here. Right? <laughs> These I, honestly, for me, I feel like that's just what the 70s were like. I Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a... Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of, like, weird fucking crimes like that in, like, 70s and 80s, right? Like, yeah, serial killer shit, so... Though, I do feel like there's, like, just an image of a serial killer in the 70s that didn't really outlive that era in some ways. Yeah. They just don't make them like that anymore. They don't make them like that anymore. Um, I You can't do serial killers with woke culture like it is. <laughs> wow, back in my day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really like the opening of this movie, too, though, where it's um, kind of sparse. And then, you know, you know he's stalking this woman who's in her train car. And the the first moment, it's, it happens again you know, later in the movie where you see kind of a fantasy sequence. Um, what, and it's unclear. I mean, there's an element of fantasy in it, but it's like, is it a memory? Right. Is he really a vampire? Is this is right. it a memory? Um, he sees this fantasy sequence of this woman kind of coming to him and she looks, you know, she's wearing sexy stuff or whatever. And it's kind of this like very romanticized image and it's, it's in black and white. So the rest of the movie is in color and suddenly we're in black and white and it's a totally different feel. And, it was shocking. It was just, like, a really, like, beautiful yes. kind of moment. And then we cut back to reality. She comes out of the bathroom. Like, she's just, like, peed or whatever. Like, it's very... Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, Romero wanted to do the whole film in black and white. And the producers were like, listen, bud, we want people to maybe watch this movie. So we're going to... We're not going to do that. Uh, but the compromise was... You know, that those scenes would still be in black and white, which I think is a great change. Yeah, I actually think that works better than if the whole thing was in black and white. Well, the cool thing is that uh, eventually, so they they actually found the cut, um, the director's cut, which was, it's like two hours and something. It's like significantly longer. And it's in black and white. They found it. They thought it was lost. So they're actually going to restore it. Oh, damn. So, that's um, cool. We will be able to see it. I'm really hoping that it comes to Shudder, since Shudder got the amusement park. And they're just like banging yeah. with everything they fucking get. So I hope it comes to Shutter, and if it if it does, I'm gonna be fucking watching it. So, and with the amusement park in mind, actually, they I guess the budget that they claimed the movie was made for was two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but it was actually one hundred thousand. Romero just didn't want anyone to think <laughs> that they could commission a film for a hundred thousand dollars, so they said it was a lot more for like what. Like, what they would want someone to pay them to commission a film. <laughs> which I wonder how much of that came from his experience the amusement park. the amusement park. I love that energy. I think that's a smart <laughs> it's a smart move. Very smart. Just inflate the budget. They, just, they didn't want anyone to be like, I have $100,000 laying around. Maybe George Romero can make <laughs> my film about the elderly. <laughs> that we don't ever show and never see the light of day because really? we're upset. <laughs> yeah, right. He was like, please don't commission me. I just want, like, I want a bunch of educational films of George Romero's, like, weird take on shit. <laughs> like, I would, man, if only. Uh, yeah. Um, they all have Lincoln Maisel in a white suit. It, <laughs> he's always the spokesperson. <laughs> no matter the issue. One commonality of these movies, like, I think probably the biggest one is that they do a lot of thinking about how lonely it is to be a creature of mm -hmm. the night or i mean a blood-sucking creature yeah it's, i feel like I, I mean it's a little more pronounced in martin i think because he is like on his own 
I mean, he's got his people that he lives with, but he's very isolated from everyone. Yeah, and he kind of ex- he expresses it more like verbally, I think, too, right? right? Like, and I mean, it's with the interesting outlet he has at the radio show where they call him the Count, which is yes. like one of my favorite things about this movie. It's a really cool aspect of the movie that he, yeah, there's um, and this also kind of reminded me actually of Byzantium because okay. um, one of the characters in Byzantium, like she's so desperate to tell someone about her life and like yeah. you know her secrets and stuff yeah that um she just writes a letter and like lets it go out the window <laughs> shit. oh shit and it like ends up having further consequences for you know whoever finds it and yeah he's doing kind of the same thing where he's just reaching out into yeah. the void like needing to tell someone about his life which i mean he's not really keeping a secret very much yeah, he just, it's, yeah, that's true. I mean, he doesn't actually go to a lot of lengths. I mean, in, like, a kill, he might go to a lot of lengths. But in general, with his life, he doesn't go to a lot of lengths to hide. He just kind of flies under the radar most of the time. Right, yeah, he just doesn't talk to most people. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so it's, like, an interesting outlet. And I love, it's, it was, it's so funny. Because, yeah, the radio guy's like, hey, our listeners love this. Like, you know, you're, like, he's a big hit. People want to hear about the count. And... You know, of course, he's telling a true fucking story, right? Yeah. But he must sound like an absolute nut. Yeah. So people are just kind of eating it up for that reason. And little do they know, he's like, essentially, yeah, a serial killer. Um, but it's great because you can hear his, um, you can hear some of his insight and thoughts. And I think they had been planning to have like a nar- uh, voiceover narration with the with the lead for the film but the film like works really well without that and mm-hmm. i feel like the radio stuff provides some of that without it feeling like a voiceover narration like it feels right. like it's part Absolutely. of the plot and like his character so yeah it's also the scenes with the radio call in are like they just feel so they feel very like lonely like there's something mm-hmm. about it like the fact that he's I love the fact that, like, as he's, like, talking into the phone, you can hear, like, the DJ's voice echoing back because he's, like, got the radio on at the same time and there's a delay. I like that, too. Yeah, I know. It makes them both, even Martin, who is more, definitely more of, like, a targeted killer than than Thomas in the other movie, um, like, a really sympathetic kind of character. And still scary. I mean, when he's killing people, it's very disturbing because the way he talks to the women feels like well you're talking about like 70s serial killer vibes like it feels extremely like if you've ever done you know deep dives even a little bit of like serial killers like it feels like stuff you would read yes absolutely Um, and i'm sure it was inspired by like something and the way he would just talk to them say you're just gonna go to sleep you're just gonna go to sleep like Mm -hmm. you won't hurt and it's like yeah but you're gonna fucking like slice them up and drink their blood you maniac so but like he's trying to like he's comforting them in right. this hor- horrifying way when he's the one causing the issue <laughs> like he's the one causing their death right right he's um and i mean it's something it's never clear whether or not there actually is anything supernatural about martin right it's it seems like the i, I feel like the movie leans towards like probably not i yeah it's probably something's gotten like passed down in his family this story and he's latched onto it and his cousin obviously believes it. I wonder if, I wonder if there is like sort of a, I feel like it's ambiguous and I don't know 
if like Romero had in mind what it actually was, you know? Right. Yeah. I'm curious I about that. I think it doesn't matter. No, because yeah, I, I like the ambiguity. Um, and I, I kind of love the idea. I mean, it's, there's something really attractive to me about like these unsexy vampires, right. Where it's mm-hmm. like, just this abject misery of like what it must be like to be so different right it's not actually often fucking rad you know it's it's, it's often miserable and can be very lonely and alienating so I love that these both do that and that Martin yeah the whole time you're like I don't know if he's a vampire but you're like but also what if he is and it's just this weird sad thing and there is no magic in the world but there are vampires like both are true right yeah exactly and it's just something where, I mean, yeah, the bare bones of it is that he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's been alive for like 80 years or so. And maybe he's a 19 year old. There's not actually that much of a difference between like you just live your life alone and yeah. constantly being forced to hurt other people. <laughs> maybe it feels like you're you 80. Need. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I Yeah, I guess. Um, Romero had intended for it to be, to cast an older, an older man and for it to be kind of more vampiric Mm -hmm. and like clearly a vampire and then saw, um, what's the name of the lead again? John Amplis. Okay. Yes. So he saw John Amplis perform in something else and that's when he decided, you know, Hey, let me make this role for him. So he rewrote it. And I love I can't imagine it being yeah. as good as it is with 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 someone else, you know? And especially with kind of an older person. I like that it's a younger person because it has that disconnect of uh, like the, you know, suspension of disbelief at that point where you have right. to kind of hold two ideas in your head the whole film. Yeah. So, yeah, the energy he brings to it is pretty essential, I think. Yes. Yeah, there's like <laughs> it's hard to pick a favorite scene because there's like so many good like I love the Romero cameo when he's like the younger priest that's like the hip dude that's like laughing at like superstition yes um but I feel like just one of the most iconic scenes has to be when Martin is going he breaks into the woman's house because her husband's away it's such a comedic scene yeah and then it turns out that she's not alone she's having an affair with another man and the other man is like oh my god, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, 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 I don't she's know like, this That's guy. That's not my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, the whole, like, if you had scored it differently, I mean, it's still comedic, but you could mm-hmm. literally score it like a who's on first situation. It's very fucking funny. Yeah, like the Benny Hill music plays. Yes. He's like chasing him around the house. Chasing him around, like, um, holding holding the phone, like, he he has the, the line so they can't call the cops. But at first, they're like, he's like, call the cops. And she's like, I'm not going to call the cops or you know what I mean? The yeah. whole conversation about nine one one. She's like, no, that's the cops. And he's like, no, that's not the cops. It goes to a general <laughs> emergency line. Like, <laughs> it feels very like, I don't know, like weirdly realistic, um, but also very slapstick. Yeah. And it definitely like, uh, this is also a common thread in both these movies is that there's like something that goes like you go through your life murdering people and, shit and then it just goes horribly off the rails at (laughs) one point and the you know when it does further go off the rails later on and there's that like shootout scene with the cops yes i guess that's really um they he you know george romero classic low budget filmmaker style the king um they're real cops wow from from that town (laughs) they were like they're like yeah i want to be in a movie doing anything today (laughs) 
yeah, he's he's increasingly forced to more desperate measures, and including because he's trying not to hurt this woman who he genuinely seems to like. Yeah, he has an actual very strange connection. But it is funny because I do think um, the Google sur- uh, the Google summary of this film is so incorrect. Did you read the Google summary of this film? No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think this is right. Okay, so it talks about how he, you know, kills women with a sedative, you know, sedatives, razor blades, blah blah blah. Um, after moving to Braddock, Pennsylvania, to live with his superstitious uncle, who also believes Martin is a vampire, Martin tries to, to prey exclusively on criminals and thugs, but stumbles when he falls for a housewife. He never tries to put. Yeah, prey. that's not even true. Like, I mean, he does. He tries to do it like when the shootout scene happens. Yeah, but he's just happening to yeah, do it. Just, I mean. It, I mean, I guess that is, like, against his type. Normally, yeah. He's normally finding sexy ladies. But is- maybe that's because, because he has, um, he has this whole thing where he's, like, obviously getting some sexual satisfaction. From this woman. From, like, the housewife. Well, from his victims in general. Yes. Which he says to the radio DJ, and they're just like, haha, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How cool, dude. Yeah, he's like, I'm normally too shy to do sex stuff with like with living people he says awake people that's what he says so yeah it's unclear whether he's doing necrophilia or just something adjacent basically mm-hmm. but yeah I, this is another thing that like made maybe changes a little bit depending on whether you believe he's a 19 year old or an 80 something year old yeah like has it been 80 years and you're like still yeah uh, not able to not able to just chill with somebody. Yeah, like this is the house. Well, I mean, that's the other thing though is when we see these cuts between fantasy or flat is a fantasy or flashback. Like maybe he had somebody mm-hmm. in this Lithuanian castle. Yeah, this seems there definitely you know? seems to be some kind of like yeah. connection that got him like driven away. Yes. Yeah, and and so there seems to be some sort of romance from long ago. I mean, whether you. It depends on how you read those scenes, right? There's some... He believes it anyway. Right. Regardless. That's what he seems to think. He seems to have felt that connection, whether that's in his mind or something that really happened. So... Right. He meets this lady who actually likes him and wants to... Wants to do it with him. (laughs) And... Yeah, it just... That, like, ends so tragically. Like, it's so... Yeah. It's very, like... We're all, we're all, we're all alone lonely. kind of stuff. Yeah, she, like, and literally she does, like, he finds her. I don't know what he's intending to do, because, yeah, this is right after his trying to kill someone outside of his normal demographics goes wrong. Yeah. And he comes to find her. Maybe, like, intending to do what, I wonder? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if stated. he was going to kill her. Yeah, we don't know. But then but, she's already beaten up to it. Yeah. Whatever he was going to do. Killed herself literally by slitting her wrist with a razor blade, which is Kinda the same thing ML. he's been doing. Yeah. So I, I just, um, that's so tragic. Like it feels. It, yeah. No, it's a great twist. Well, and it's an even better twist because that's what ends up not just being his downfall as far as like that kills his hope for like a relationship and for something that can get him away from himself, but also 
um, his uncle, or is it his uncle? His cousin. His cousin. Sorry, yeah, the, Google, the, the Google summary is wrong in that, too. It's not his uncle. I just, the reason I, yeah, you're right. Um, I, but I always, I, I see him as older, right? Even though right. potentially Martin's an 80-year-old vampire, so what do I know? But, um, you know, his cousin finds out about that death, and he thinks Martin did it. Naturally. Um, and so it's his downfall in that way, too, because he stakes him through the heart. Yes. And it quietly ends. He is quietly buried in the front yard. Yep. So it's a heavy film. Really heavy, lonely, isolating. You have that one scene to kind of break it up, which I thought was really unusual. And also wasn't a planned scene in the in the movie, mm. which was Martin walking through the parade. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they're they like, let's get this footage. I think they were trying to shoot something. And a parade happened to be coming out oh, the just, street. Oh, there just was a parade. And they're like, we can't shoot something. This this is going to blow our sound out. And so they just did the... They just shot it. Wow. And it, But it ends up being a really stark contrast because it's it's community, it's mm-hmm. music and sound, yes. and and he's in it, right? But he's not, like, of it. And, and then, yeah, the ending is, like, such a stark contrast where he's just buried alone. Yeah. So, fucked up. Yeah. And, I mean, this is really... Like, this is what I kind of love about the many varied ways that you can take on vampires, because the vampire is a very isolated figure, yeah, typically, and also kind of a tortured one because you have to prey on people mm-hmm. um, to keep your, to sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like a cursed existence, and um, I, I just love to see the ways that that's extrapolated into how... A lot of people's existence feels <laughs> cursed and isolated and yes, desperate. I'm I I just looked. I found that quote that I really like that Romero talked about for Martin, where he says Martin's designed to all those supernatural monsters that are part of our literary tradition are in essence expurgations of ourselves. They are beasts we've created in order to, to exercise the monster from within us. I tried to show in Martin that you can't just slice off this evil part of ourselves and throw it away. It's a permanent part of us, and we'd better try and understand it. But honestly, yeah. I like his quote, but also, I mean, I, I don't even know if that's fully the what reads as the thesis of this film. What reads as, yeah, you can't cut it away, and I guess we should just die. Like, that's yes. kind of, the, it's very we're just bleak. all gonna die. And maybe we should. Like, yeah. literally, yeah. like, humans are a stain on existence. Yes. Like. It is, it's fucking dark. Yeah. Um, but that's, I love it. I think it's a great, it's a great movie. It's a really good one. It's definitely one of those that feels like very bleak and very like bleak, specifically of its era. Like mm-hmm. I'm very into the way that he, the way that he conjured like a 70s serial killer. Yes. Um, with this and that like, I, I don't know, it just feels very of its era and that it's, like, speaking directly to that sort of, like, I don't know, that type of madness. Well, and it's such an, a counterpart to, like, um, not to speak ill of, like, 80s slashers or anything like that, but, like, you know, the, like, glorified 80s slasher where it's, like, you know, the killer is, like, oh, hell yeah, we root for Jason, we root for mm-hmm. Freddie, like, um, and, yeah, Martin is sympathetic, like, he's not an unsympathetic character, but you're not rooting for him do you know what i mean like you feel the kills in a way that you don't necessarily feel them in a more like fun you know happy-go-lucky i guess (laughs) like jason skipping through the forest and getting people with his machete you know 
Yeah, no, we need more. We need more um, monsters who are also sub losers. I mean, I love to have fun, you know. I love yeah. I love some fun kills, but this is it's more contemplative. It makes you kind of sit with it. Yeah, which I dig. Absolutely, that's what I'm about. So we have honestly, maybe I don't know. I don't know if I want to say even darker. Mm. Maybe somewhat more bleak. I guess we'll find out in our know. discussion. Yeah, my heart can't beat unless you tell it to. An emo band ass title for a movie. I love it. I, I love this trend in like indie horror to get like long ass titles. And I feel like we should push the envelope and make it even more. Like I want to see a fucking paragraph. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Like, like a 90s fucking yes. Bring it on. Yeah. Give me a whole paragraph. Give me read. like a couple sonnets that I have to just chant <laughs> at someone when I'm telling them the title of a movie. You know? Do you have any idea what we do to get that blood? I thought you said this was a shelter. It is. Looks like a house. I don't think that I can keep doing this. He's our brother. He's sick. We shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. has to be the three of us, together. Would you get me some blood? You really should try smiling. Do you ever think about going somewhere else? Tomorrow you go out again. Would you like to play a game? I don't want to be sick. So, um, written and directed by Jonathan Cortis, Jesse and Dwight spend the, their days caring for their sickly younger brother Thomas, keeping him company, scraping together money to keep them going, and murdering people to collect the blood Thomas needs to survive. So, we watched this movie, what, like, a month ago or so for uh just um, yeah just our desperate rush to watch all the movies we wanted to see from last year <laughs> there's a lot a lot of good indie shit came yeah out, so. there's a lot and this one i don't think this cracked either of our top um for the year last year but this was like definitely on my honorable mentions same it was um it's a really interesting movie, and it's also one that is kind of enigmatic. Like, I gave you this description, and um, if you haven't seen this movie, it doesn't really, like, give anything away, because pretty much everything that you've got there um, is, like, is told to you eventually, but we definitely didn't realize until, what, the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie that they're siblings. <laughs> trying oh my God. to figure out what Okay, it wasn't that long, but it was kind of long. It was, it was... A length of time. Okay, that's because the brother and sister, like, the sister acts like a jealous wife. Yeah, they're, definitely, they're definitely parental figures well, for they're, Thomas, yeah. whether or not Well, and they, the way parents. they interact is like a toxic mm-hmm. marriage. Like, it's not like a brother and sister. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have kind of a fucked up family dynamic. So, yeah, we have, like, isolation in that, like, there's three people who spend almost all their time around each other, and they're still all in their own fucked up little worlds 
which um, yeah, like they're so isolated. Who kind of who seems actually to be the best adjusted out of all of them? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's the least fucked up, but well, yeah. you know, but. As we learn, it's because he's the one, he doesn't have to do any work for he what? He doesn't have to do the dirty work. For his affliction. Yeah, this one, this one more than, I think Martin tries to do, Martin does this a little bit because, yeah, Martin's obviously not super thrilled to be killing people. Um, and yeah, he does, like, kind of have his way of doing things that allows him to tell himself that he's not really hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. But this movie really gets into how hard it is to kill people when you're not someone who wants to kill people it's it's that and that's how it's brutal like this movie yeah there's blood in this movie but it's more just brutal as far as like a meditation on like oh you really need to kill this person like this will make your family member survive can you do it uh (laughs) yes absolutely yeah no um the first thing we see in the movie is dwight talking to a homeless guy giving him some money giving him food yeah. And saying, I have a job for you. Can you come with me? And it, like, immediately feels sinister, but in a very, like, bleak kind of way. Right. Like, there's no music scoring it, but you know shit's fucked up. Yeah, you know something's wrong. And this guy knows that something is wrong, but he, like... Yeah, but uh, he has nothing but, else you know, to do. He's, yeah, it's it's kind of also, like, really does extrapolate that desperation to everyone. The town feels very yes. depressed like economically and otherwise which i feel like is kind of there's some social uh, in martin a little bit that mm-hmm. that same oh, kind of yeah, vibe absolutely. right like you get the town and kind of it's a little bit forgotten you yes. know economically and that sort of thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and yeah this kind of speaks to like he's finding people like on the fringes of society which is also just yeah, he's definitely operating like a serial killer. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, and yeah, this guy knows that something is not right about this, but he has really no choice but to take a gamble on it, and like maybe he'll get some money or maybe he'll die. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's uh, this kind of happens a few different times. He's definitely Dwight's the one who's supposed to be in charge of doing the killing, and it's obviously starting to eat him alive. Yeah, he's not he's not doing great at it. He's yeah. not doing great. He seems very sad and beleaguered about it. Yeah, we have Patrick Fugit also, I should say, who um, honestly, Ariel described him as being a goth daddy in this, <laughs> and he it does feel that way, even though he looks very like normcore for sure. Like, he does. He's out here wearing like polos and khakis and shit, but he does look extremely, <laughs> his energy is just his very energy. goth. Yeah, this. Yeah, this is like, it's funny because like, I know we've talked about like the hunger before, which is like, like goth. Like high goth, so goth, right? Yeah. But this movie Classic. is like dirty goth, right? Yeah, like just absolutely. down and dirty. I got three dollars in my pocket, and that's all I got. But I'm also a goth. Like yeah. that's this vibe. Yeah, for this definitely. One. He's just been going to thrift stores. He can't help it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's trying to lure homeless people. You can't do that when you're when you've got like your onk earring in and shit. No, you can't do that shit. Well, there's even that scene where he goes to the thrift store and he's like trying to sell stuff, right? And the woman's like gives him money, and he's like, "Is this all?" And she's like, I can't sell this shit. And he was like, there's like 10 shirts in here. Like he says it, he quietly yes. said it. And so she reluctantly hands him like another five or yeah. something. There's like 10 shirts in here. <laughs> okay, but are they from the people you've killed? Who knows? Yeah, this is like another thing. They're doing like all the stuff that you do to just like barely make ends meet when yeah. you're poor. Like she's working in a diner. 
And he's, yeah, going out pawning stuff during his days. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess they're probably, I'm, I think they're very um, economical with what they do with the bodies, right? They, they take the blood, right. but they also are um, getting whatever they can from right. them. Exactly. Um, and then I really like the contrast because, you know, we have, we have the brother who's very morose and, you know, does the killing and everything. But then the sister who is working in this diner and like, we see some of the, like, if, you, if you've ever worked in a restaurant or whatever, like you already know this vibe, but like they show it, they show her kind of getting treated like shit, just like on a normal kind of basis. Mm -hmm. And she's very cold. Like she doesn't really show a lot of emotion. Um, and she's way more like tactical and, um, and not mopey at all. Unlike the, the brother. But it's funny because, like, I feel like she kind of does a lot that really carries the family more than he does. Even though he has to do the really hard work of, like, actually, you know, hello, taking a life or whatever. Right. He's so mopey and she's like, look, let's get our shit together. Like, we need mm -hmm. to handle this shit. Yeah, so. she's like the breadwinner and the head of the household. Yeah, of. yeah. And he's supposed to be, like, out hunting and shit. And he's not really, he's getting worse at it. Yeah. Maybe at some point time he was good. It at it i don't Maybe. know he's, he's worn out yeah and yeah the the scene introducing thomas also is so good like because you just don't know what you're seeing at least like i didn't know anything about this movie no. when i watched it so if you haven't seen it honestly i recommend watching it before you listen to us talk about it because it's just fun to not yeah. know very much going into this and it's on shutter so yeah exactly so, yeah, he's, and Thomas is, like, no vampire you've ever seen in anything. Like, I mean, Martin is definitely very, um, not a typical vampire. Mm -hmm. Thomas is, like, I don't think I'll ever see a movie that features <laughs> a vampire like this again. <laughs> yeah, he's incredibly unusual, and they cast him really well. Yes, he's so, he's such a sweet, creepy little guy. He's, like, yeah, like, he almost feels like a cartoon character. Like, he has these, like, big, like, basset hound eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like, very mournful, but, like, yeah, there's something very creepy. Like, he doesn't know how to be a person. Yes, exactly. And we don't really know what the background is for him. Mm hmm Like, we don't ever hear anything about whether he's 80 years old or what, <laughs> but... He's, um, he's their sibling, and apparently vampirism for him is just being chronically ill that's it and so this is also kind of a story about chronic illness and the things that you do mm -hmm. for your family when you're struggling already and then you have someone who needs constant care yeah and in um thomas's case human sacrifices yeah i mean uh, that's true i i you can totally read it as like a metaphor for that or just like caretaking in general i mm -hmm. guess for anything and and kind of like the sa like the sacrifices that you would have to make in that role, but also just the the way like that role is if you're family, you treat that person like shit even though you're doing everything for them. Like right. it is most people who are caretakers know that vibe, right? Where it's like okay, like I hate you, but also like I'm taking human lives for you, mm -hmm. but I fucking resent you for it and I feel guilty about the resentment. So yes. there's like so much of that built into like both the older brother and sister vibe of taking care. And, like, the fact is, like, they're taking care, but it's so... Yeah, like, it's... This this kid doesn't have a life. This yeah. kid's miserable. Yeah, he's he's just, you know, in bed most of the time. 
yeah and he's not doing whatever but he's really sweet about it with the siblings yeah and he's like he wants to he, this is another actually yeah there is totally like reaching out into the void for connection because he keeps hearing these teenagers i guess go by yeah. in his neighborhood during the day Mm-hmm. And he really wants to talk to them and wants them to be his friends. It's so sweet yeah. and sad. Yes, and it's um, it's definitely something that like you can see something like kind of eating at him while his siblings are just like kind of zombified and in <laughs> like we have to do the do our tasks for today kind of mode. Like yeah. they're not paying attention to his the survival emotional mode. state at all. But you can see it coming, the viewer. That he's about yes. to do something crazy because... He's so lonely. Yeah, because he is so isolated. And they, they try. Like, they really do try because they do... They have, like, that game they do on the piano mm-hmm. where they get... It's such a weird... Such a weird, like, <laughs> homeschool kid game. Yeah. Like, I actually, I thought that was such a funny so touch. True. Yeah, or just the fact that... Um, and he doesn't know this isn't normal. And he finds out later. Um, but they have Christmas every month. Once a month they have Christmas and they, they open up gifts. Yes. And, and it's, it's... So it is, like... In that way, I actually feel, I find this film to be a lot less bleak than Martin because I think in Martin there's like no love. There's no love that um that means anything, right? Like when he thinks right. he, he has, has a connection, his, he has his cousin who's like his warden. Him. Yeah, his um he has the other cousin, right? Or the yeah, or his, his cousin's daughter, or granddaughter, like a second cousin, or, or like something. who knows what? Yeah, who knows where they are in the genealogy chart? And she, you know, cares about him a little, but she leaves in the end. You know, and right? Then... She leaves in the end, and she's not. She's trying to take care of herself. Exactly. Like, that's she's that is also shit. kind of like the um, poverty desperation yes. aspect too. Like she just can't. Like she does care. Yeah, but not enough to be able to like really Do expend anything. the energy when she's trying to take no. care of herself. And then there's a housewife who, like, he thinks he has a connection with, but in the end, like, she kills herself. She feels yeah. like, oh, nice. In the end, really, like, he was a momentary distraction yes. from whatever else she whatever had. Whatever she on. had. But with this, yeah, it's fucked up and, like, unfixable. But there is, like, a connection and, like, sacrifice and, like, right. they care about each other, mm-hmm. but they're unable uh, to make that sustain them right the circumstances are just too much yeah they can't overcome people yeah exactly so i mean in that way it's a it's a poverty narrative narrative as well for sure Mm. just like yeah love and shit is not enough to get you by like you need other things so yeah but i i find that connection interesting and like more sustaining i guess like um i mean i like the bleakness of martin but like that scene towards the end when the brother dwight he's at the diner and he sees the family that's getting along and it's like heartbreaking because yes. you're like you know that they were that probably yes. at some point like the brother just told a dirty joke and the mm-hmm. sister's like ew that's gross but they're like obviously having a good time mm-hmm. and it's like just a normal moment but it's really really heartbreaking in the context because yeah his life has just been fucking blown up so yeah yeah and he's like also got his own really sad like kind of trying to reach out into the yeah. void like and his tidy whities yes, with the prostitute. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's got his um, he's got his sex worker friend yeah. who he's paying a little extra every time so that she'll just talk to him. Yeah, which is um, and yeah, they seem to have a like... genuine connection, even though yeah, he is paying for that. But there mm-hmm. seems to be something real in the connection for mm-hmm. sure for both of them. Yeah, yeah, it's sad, and um... he does look as sad as he possibly could, like completely unhot, right? Like not again, literal tidy whities that he's sitting in. Yes. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> and he's not an unattractive man. No, but like, that's... he's just pretty. 
pretty sexy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is honestly... What one thing I vastly appreciate about both these movies is I love just a movie with normal looking people. Yeah, especially a vampire movie because vampires tend to be sexy. They do. Otherworldly, and we have people who maybe they seem a little otherworldly, but yeah, they're really normal looking. Yeah, or really just weird. Like Thomas is otherworldly yeah. looking to me, but he's just weird. Yeah, it's not really an attractive otherworldliness. Um, I, he looks like a swamp creature or something. <laughs> There's, I, I'm thinking of, I swear to God, I have to look it up because I think I'm thinking of a cartoon character for him and I need to like find it. But you know how like those old ones, like the Looney Tunes, like sometimes they'd have those weird eyes that were slippery, like the slippery eyes. Yeah. He kind of has that vibe yeah, he does. Like, for him. You're right. Which is great. I mean, like good. The acting is very good in this movie. What are we even talking about? Otherworldliness, slippery eyes. We've <laughs> 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 gone off the rails. <laughs> Unhot. Yeah, unhot people. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, there's also also super sad is um, probably sadder than dude's uh, escort friend is um, say, yeah. is the guy he like he captures because he's and and finds that he kind of is no longer capable of killing people. Yep, that like, shit is so hard, um, and he just keeps this guy because he's just talking to him. And it's even, it's even more, yeah, it's, it's so fucked up because you're like, you know, this guy doesn't have the guts to like, let him go. He actually can't really let him go. Yeah. It's Um, all over if he lets this guy go. But he also, this is like his one, he's trying to connect to someone. Right. But this, this man doesn't speak English. Like they don't, they literally don't understand each other's language. Yeah. He can't connect with this person. Yeah. So like he, and obviously he wouldn't because like literally you kidnapped him, but also he can't, he can't understand what you're saying. And so it's so anything. interesting because you have these scenes where Dwight is talking to him, telling him about shit, and then this guy's talking to him and talks about his son and mm-hmm. and um yeah, it's it's really ugh, like when the guy's just begging him, he's just saying, please, like please, because anyone will mm-hmm. say, uh, you know, even if you don't speak Spanish, like you understand por por favor, like you yeah. understand that. And but yeah, this like Dwight is a coward, you know. Dwight can't right. he doesn't like what he's doing, but he also can't do anything else right so he's kind of stuck and it's just it is heartbreaking and they and it's drawn out it's really drawn out because this guy yeah literally has him in the shed and he's like you don't want my sister to find out because man if she finds out it's all over for you but it's like well dude how is it not all over for him like (laughs) it's it's uh it's really uh an interesting character to introduce into the plot yeah, sure. and this is, like, I mean, this whole time, essentially, like, I guess probably from the time he gets the guy and doesn't kill him right away, mm-hmm. it feels like they're on borrowed time. Like, this is really starting to fall apart. That's, like, the ticking time bomb. Yeah, when yeah. he picks this guy up and actually doesn't yeah, there's, kill him. there's this, there's the fact that Thomas won't stop trying to make contact with the kids outside. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it feels like, okay... Like, this can't, this is not sustainable. It's not going to go on for very much longer. And yeah, we come to a point where, um, yeah, between um, Thomas desperately wanting to make contact with people to the point where he invites someone inside, mm-hmm. and then um, Dwight not being able to really kill people, um, mm-hmm. plus this is a person that they can't really kill because someone will miss him. Yeah. It Like, yeah, then it starts to go completely 
wrong. And we get the scene where um, everything takes a turn for the worst and the the normal cycle is interrupted. I can't. And we get, like, whatever fucking, not exactly Benny Hill music, but... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, right. Yeah, I... I don't know what Thomas was thinking when he does let that one kid in. And he was gonna give him blood. Like, yes! what is he thinking in that this scene? This is so... This is, like, so interesting because, like, yeah, what does he think other people do he doesn't understand anything about the outside world but the way that he's looking at him it's almost like he knows that he's like not gonna take it well right like he kind of wants to see what's it's yeah he's like testing the boundaries he's like i "I don't think other people drink blood (laughs) yeah i guess it's kind of like that yeah he's like um because he's watching him so intently and it's such a great moment of tension because you as the audience are like yeah this is not gonna go well this kid is already kind of thinking this this guy's a weirdo and then when he drinks this blood. Also, this scene is also, it feels very, like, queer where, like, he's like, it is. this guy just invited me in his house. Yeah. And I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna see what happens. It, it feels kind of like a... Yeah. I mean, if somebody mm-hmm. comes out and is like, I want to meet you. Come in my house. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, like... It feels very, like, oh, they might want to bang. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like that can't not occur to you. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's, like, a teenage guy like i yeah. feel like it had to have occurred i don't know so i feel the same it's it's sort of an interesting point of connection between the two of them and like does that whole scene like feels very intimate um yeah it does and it feels like if it, it, it gets so intimate and he stays and you're like okay yeah it feels like somewhere between something might be about to happen here and, and something really <laughs> bad might be about to happen here um and it's the only you know like if you're, you know, at all, like, identifying with Thomas or, like, you know, in with him as a character, like, he rarely interacts with literally anyone. Mm-hmm. He talks to a bug in a jar, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he sometimes talks to his brother and sister, but even then, like, often he's just alone in his fucking room. And even, like, when he hears the kids and his sister's like, you're not supposed to be awake during the daytime. But he, what else does he have to do? Mm-hmm. Like, why would he, you know, like, he... he is so isolated like so like it makes sense that he'd be kind of sitting by the window listening for sound you know mm-hmm. um and so when you when that guy walks to the door like it, it is there's something about it that's really i mean you know that shit's gonna be bad like it can't be anything else but also your heart is like oh okay someone new someone new here that yeah. could make a good connection and the fact that this is like such a fucked up situation clearly and he's still wanting to find out more yeah yeah i know he seems willing to to stay i mean that's the thing it's not yeah. it it's not very, a carry situation very sweet it's it's something else yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i like the way they played that um but then yeah she gets all fucked up and uh it kind of pops off you know the ending is like so grim in so many different <sighs> kinds of ways yeah it's brutal he kind of like what needs to happen it probably does need to happen yeah and um but you just have to wonder like what is he gonna do after all this it's it's interesting that like dwight's the one that kind of he's the one that survives right he walks away from it and it kind of makes sense because he is the one that has the heart right he's like the heart of the family right He's the one that feels bad. Like, he's the one that can't really continue doing this. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's, like, an interesting thing. Like, you have the, the sister who is, again, very cold, not like she doesn't feel, but she doesn't really show it. And then, yeah, the dude who literally can't function. Okay, idiot. What? And then you have a cat that won't fucking <laughs> shut up. Um, Aw, if only they had Bowie, it would have been <laughs> just needed should've a pet. Should have got him a cat. He needed a pet, not a bug in a jar. Yeah, it's a sad pet. Um, he's a bug in the jar. <laughs> yeah, so it's just weird. It's it's interesting that he's the one. But I mean, I guess he is kind of the main character, right? Like we start the film with him. Yeah, we are mostly seeing things through his eyes. Yeah, and shit really does break down because he loses his nerve yeah who knows i really kind of wonder what was happening like what life was before the beginning of this movie because he's like their parents presumably right like what's up with that yeah i liked i like that we don't know yeah i I, because i love to wonder i you know there's no over explanation in this movie at all and it's rich enough that we don't need that other stuff. But I do like to wonder about that. Because mm-hmm. even at the beginning, they invite you to wonder. Because the mm-hmm. guy asks, well, what is this? It looks like a house or whatever. Because he thinks he's being taken to a shelter and he's like, it used to be. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, I, I kind of forgot about that as the movie went out. But like, it used to be his house. And now it's something else. Yeah. You know, it's like his hell. And the yeah. other thing that's interesting is like the way they film it at the beginning, I thought that they're in the middle of fucking nowhere, but they're very isolated. Mm-hmm. They're in a suburb. Yep. They live in a fucking suburb. Yeah, there's there's kids on bikes who go by yeah. the house every day. Yeah, they're in a neighborhood. But, like, you don't really know that or feel that because of how isolated the characters are. Right. The only things we really see is when they go in, into the city and are picking up people to kill or right. doing their job or whatever. Yeah, Toward- it feels like they're, like, on their own acre or something. But, no, this is, like, the Boo Radley house <laughs> in the neighborhood. Well, and that's what's interesting, too, because if we go back to the whole caretaking, you know, whatever, like, yeah, or whatever's going on, like, you see houses on the street, and it's like, yeah, that could be someone's private hell for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, they might be very isolated. It looks like a neighborhood to you, but to these people, like, this, like, family drama can can ruin yeah can ruin your life yeah so. and i mean the kid who comes in the house who um narrowly escapes mm-hmm. because essentially because dwight lets him go again yeah. yes and he um like he says like is that your house and he says yeah and he's like is that your dad yeah is it just the two of you and he says yeah and he's like i know what that's like or something yes and he says that yeah yeah and it it feels like very like yeah maybe this kid Wanders into this weird house of horrors, kind of, and <laughs> doesn't seem that perturbed by it because he's got his own shit that's happening in his house. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess you kind of touch on the outside and, and it's maybe not so outside after all, right? Like, it's just the same. But that's sad. <laughs> this is another sad movie. Yeah. And this one, I think you feel the ending a little bit more than you might with Martin, because I think Martin is just pretty bleak from start to finish and but you have the the thing that's so sad about my heart can't beat is be, is that there was you know there was something good there mm-hmm. and it's just been completely tainted yeah there is ends. love but it's just like stretched to the this yeah limit and can't do anything anymore yeah well yeah. And that's why the ending is like so sad so depressing happy yeah. valentine's day happy valentine's day of your loved ones so <laughs> this one is for the single people out there <laughs> Or the ones of extremely the, toxic yeah, relationships. Or the spiritually single people. <laughs> <laughs> we got oh, you. God. Maybe next year we'll do one on romantic vampires, but 
We could. We'll see. I, honestly, Vampire is... I mean, I know I love, like, woods and I love found footage, but Vampire is one of my favorite subgenres for horror, yeah, I think. Vampires. Too much good shit. Like, yeah. I know so many good vampire movies. It's just such a... It's just such a rich concept. It is. Yeah, it's funny because it's, like, just... A monster, right? Like yeah. it's like, but why is it? It is very alluring. As it's a the it's the immortality yeah. and the consequences of it. It's the feeding on human life to stay sustained. And like the sucking of blood, I guess. Yeah, it's very, very sexy. It's yeah, it's essential, but it's, it's also just, it's also disgusting. Yes, and it's gruesome. Yeah, it's like it's the worst the way to grotesque kill someone. meets the romantic. <laughs> you love to see it. I love it. I love that shit. Yeah. So these ones are much more on the grotesque side, but. You gotta go there sometimes. You gotta go there. We this is where we take you. Not your final girl. <laughs> we take you to the hard places. <laughs> yeah. We lead you out. Or we leave you there. I don't know. Shamans of vampire worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we've done much leading out of it, so um no. walk through a parade today if you can. There you go. A bleak parade yeah. in Philadelphia. Find a bleak parade somewhere. Play a little song on your keyboard. Oh yeah, do some sad karaoke. That happens a lot in my heart. Sad karaoke, such sad karaoke. (laughs) That'll help. That's cathartic. Yeah, and yeah, tell us, uh, hit us up. Tell us what kind of vampire movies that you like that you might want to hear us talk about someday. Yeah, and um, we'll think about it. It's a NYFG pod on pretty much everything except for Facebook. We're just not your final girl. Um, Give us a follow. Send us a message. Check us, I mean, check out the other shows on the network on Morbidly Beautiful if you get a chance. It's uh, morbidlybeautiful.com and there's all kinds of other shows and there's also essays, at least a couple by us. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Claire C. Holland, as always, for our namesake, Not Your Final Girl, from her book of horror-themed poems called I Am Not Your Final Girl. You can follow her at Claire C. Holland on Twitter and, um, or Claire C. Writes on Twitter. Um, follow Brian Demarest, who made our show artwork at Evil Flynn. He takes commissions, too, if you want your very own cool vampire girl like we have for our icon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, true. It's very yeah, appropriate. We're paying her homage today. <laughs> um, thanks to Pat Spurlock for being technical and emotional support. You can follow him at Phantom Stranger on Facebook. Thanks to Ariel for our song that you're about to hear again. It's called Under Your Skin. And you can find it on um, any of the places where there's music. Yeah. So it's kind of a vampire-ish song. It is very vampire-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one that's like Killing Eve inspired? It's a little bit. It um, wasn't on purpose, but I I wrote half of the song and then I was like, oh shit. This is about Killing Eve <laughs> accidentally. You love to see it. So don't come for me, Killing Eve. I'm not trying to steal your vibe, but I just took inspiration. They should put you on the like soundtrack. Wow. Goals right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hit us up, Killing Eve showrunners. We'll see you next time. Happy Valentine's Day, ghouls. Love you. Love you. But not in a toxic way.